Hey, HDC, how's it going? Good to be with you tonight. Uh, my name's Jackson, and uh, it's a pleasure to get to be with you as we continue into week three here of our series called Giving and Receiving. We're going through uh, just a great book. It's a really short book, but so powerful, uh, called The Book of Ruth. Uh, it's there in the Old Testament for you, real early in your Bible. Uh, and we're gonna be in Ruth chapter three tonight. So if you got a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, it's a four-week series for a four-chapter book, so you can break that down pretty easy. We're just gonna take a chapter a week. So here we are. In week three, I'll catch you up a little bit on uh, where we've been if you've missed anything. Um, but first, let me tell you this. I was not supposed to be preaching tonight. Uh, tonight, my dad was supposed to be teaching, and uh, he's our senior pastor here at HDC. And you might have heard, you might have not, that he's been hospitalized this week uh, with like pneumonia-type symptoms. But uh, I just want to let you know that he's doing well. His spirits are high. He appreciates uh, the prayers uh, that you've been offering for him. And if you think of him this week and have time to pray for him, we would appreciate that as a family and as a church. Uh, but he's doing well. Uh, his spirits are high. I got to be with him today as we watched UCLA wipe the floor with USC. So you know that that was the best possible medicine for him. So he is doing well, uh, just if anything, because of that. So um, thank you for praying for him. And uh, we'll do our best to keep you updated as that situation progresses. Um, but... That being said, I'm really glad to get to be with you. I actually taught through the book of Ruth with our young adults on Thursday nights last November. So uh, this is really fun. I loved teaching through this book and I love that we're doing it as a church. I feel like it was stolen from us at young adults. So um, now we get to come and represent Izzy's leading worship tonight, get me, you know, it's the whole thing. Um, so here's where we've been so far in Ruth, in case you've missed any of the weeks and stuff like that. Uh, week one, basically all you need to know uh, in chapter one, everything goes wrong. And everybody that's a guy dies. So that's pretty much a good summary there for you in chapter one. Uh, Elimelech, uh, who's married to Naomi, he dies. Both of their sons die, who are married to Orpah and to Ruth. Uh, Orpah leaves the scene, that's the last we hear from her. And Naomi and Ruth head back home. Chapter two, which we looked at last night, or last week, sorry. Uh, chapter two is just this amazing, like I hope if you were here and as we went through that, you just got to appreciate like the masterclass that chapter two is on the act of giving and receiving. Boaz and Ruth do such a great job of, of being generous and receiving that well. Uh, many, uh, there are probably some of us here in the room uh, or watching online who would say, you know, Jackson, I'm decently generous. Like I would put myself in that category of I'm a pretty generous person. I love giving to people. I love being helpful. Uh, I would say that probably all of us are terrible at receiving. Uh, one way or another. Some of us are mooches and we will just num, 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 take it all. And then others of us, we're like, I don't need anything. I'm a one man band. I'm a one woman show. I could take it on myself. I don't need any help. Both are extremes and neither helpful. So man, Ruth chapter two is such a great place for us to really learn what does it look like to be generous? What does it look like to receive generosity well with honor and honor even the people who are being generous with us? So that's chapters one and two. We delve into chapter three here tonight, uh, and it's a weird one, uh, but interestingly enough, it is really honestly my favorite chapter in the book of Ruth to preach through. Uh, you'll be like, why, uh, when we read the first four verses, but uh, we'll get into it and it'll be really fun. So let's jump in uh, to Ruth chapter three. Oh, and I'll tell you this, you might notice uh, no blanks tonight, which is weird for us. Um, 
But what I'm gonna do tonight is I'm just gonna make one observation about all three characters. You're gonna see Naomi active, you're gonna see Ruth, and you're gonna see this guy Boaz that we got introduced to last week. And uh, I'm just gonna make one observation about them as we go, and that'll be kind of the, the flow for tonight. So let's dig in, Ruth chapter three, verse one. It says this, one day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you. Uh, that word home also rest, uh, this idea of rest. Uh, so she's saying, my daughter, I, I need to find a place of rest for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, he's a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he is finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. If you were tracking with me as I read that, you might be like, excuse me? Like, what? what's the plan here, Naomi? What are we doing? I would love, I would love tonight to be able to tell you like, oh, this is an ancient Jewish custom. And there's a lot of logic and beauty behind it. There's not. Okay, this is not an ancient Jewish custom. This is as wacky and as harebrained a plan as you thought it was when I read it, okay? So we'll get into the plan here in a second. But here's the observation I wanna make about Naomi first before we get too far into this chapter. If you have been tracking with the story and you've been reading, uh, you would know this is really weird that Naomi is making plans. This is very abnormal for Naomi. This is not her, like, if you look at chapter one, Naomi said, change my name, call me Mara, my name is Bitter. Like, you can refer to me as Bitter from now on. Don't call me Jackson, call me Bitter, right? Like, that was where she was at in chapter one. Now, granted, pretty fair, she had lost a lot of things. She was in a place of despair. She's even maybe in a place that we would call the pit, right? She's at this deep, dark place, feeling incredibly hopeless. But... One chapter goes by in chapter two, and now at the beginning of chapter three, if you've been watching Naomi carefully through the story, you're thinking, who's this lady that's hatching plans? She was the same lady who was just like, everything is terrible, the sky is falling, and we're all gonna die. That was where she was at in chapter one. And now in chapter three, she's in a totally different place. And that's gotta beg the question for us, like why, what has led Naomi to be somebody who is hatching a plan? What I know about people who plan is that it is hope that drives people to plan. Hopeful people make plans. And here's what's so cool that happened in chapter two. There have been two people in this story who have been incredibly generous to Naomi. One is Ruth and the other is Boaz. And it is through their generosity that it has sparked hope in Naomi's story so that she can begin to make plans again not as a victim who's hopeless without a plan, but she feels a sense of hope now where she can begin making plans again. I would argue that that is the, that is the whole entire goal of generosity. You might've kind of tripped out about that in your head before, where you've been like, man, when I give to something, when I give to help somebody who's on the street, when I give to a need that arises with a family member or a friend or somebody at work, someone in my oikos, when I, when I give generously to something like that, what, what's the end goal, right? Because if somebody was just like, here's all my needs, absolutely none of us, I don't think, could really afford to cover that. 
That's not a like sustainable pattern that we can live in where it's just like, yeah, I'll cover all of your needs for you. But that was never the point of generosity. Effective generosity always has the end goal of hope. That is the ultimate gift of generosity. It was never about the money. It was never about the act of service, but that was the vehicle in which you infuse the gift of hope to the situation. That those who were hopeless begin to feel that there is hope. And now they can start making plans. It's kind of beautiful when you think about it. I realized that there were two different kinds of generosity on display. One is you've got Ruth, right? Ruth in chapter one, Naomi tells both of her daughters-in-law who now don't have husbands, hey, this is a very like male-centric society. The only way we're really gonna earn an income or be able to take care of ourselves is if you're married. I've got nothing to offer you. All my sons are gone and my husband's gone. So there's no real protection here for you. You guys should go back to your families. Orpah says, great, deuces, she's out. Then Ruth says, no, I'm gonna stick with you. She makes this incredibly beautiful vow to Naomi. The generosity that Ruth offers Naomi is I would argue the highest form of generosity. It is the deepest empathy you could imagine. She makes all of Naomi's problems her problems. Like that is beautiful. She steps into the pit and says, I'm gonna be here with you. All of the consequences, all of the realities that you are feeling because of the great amount of loss you have suffered, I am going to experience all of those with you. All your problems are my problems now. That is the most generous, that is the greatest display of generosity throughout all of Ruth, the whole book. That right there is just this beautiful moment of generosity. What I will tell you is, this is not sustainable. You can't give this generosity to everybody in your life. You can't make everybody else's problems your problems. That level of empathy is reserved for a very few group, like a very small group of people that you do life with. But what Ruth does is she steps in and she says, all your problems are gonna be my problems now. So that's this generous empathy that Ruth gives to Naomi. But then Boaz is generous in a different way. Boaz sees Ruth providing for needs already. She shows up to his field. She's working there because all of Naomi's problems are Ruth's problems. So Naomi needs food. Ruth says, I'm in. I'm going to go provide for us. I'm going to go figure it out. And she begins going to work and glean in Boaz's field. And Boaz sees work that's already being put towards caring for Naomi. And he sees that and he takes his resources and he gives towards it. This is an opportunity you and I have all the time where we see somebody who's already working towards meeting needs and we just get to financially support them. We get to take the resources of, t of time maybe to volunteer or of money to be able to support work that's already going towards generously meeting needs. And we just kind of help on the back end of that. And honestly, that's why we've paired the launching of this series with, again, the launching of year two of GoFund Kingdom for us, right? That would be that would make a lot of sense for us. If you don't know, GoFund Kingdom is a project that we've done now last year and again this year where we seek to raise $100,000 to give away in its entirety towards people who are actively building the kingdom of God. And what we've done each week of the series is just give you an opportunity to kind of get familiar with some of the projects. I, I checked tonight, you guys have already raised $20,000 towards that goal, which is awesome. And that fund is open until the end of December. Yeah, you can applaud for that, that's a good thing. 
right? So that is a kind of generosity, much like Boaz, right? These are opportunities that are right before us where there are people who are already doing great ministry. One of those people is Stanton Healthcare. This is a project that we wanted to make you aware of tonight. Uh, Stanton Healthcare, we're gonna help them uh, with, uh, I think, some a generator for their um, van there or their bus there that helps uh, give ultrasounds and is helpful to women who are considering abortion and trying to figure out other options. And they're really active in pursuing, uh, really advocating for the life of that baby and making sure that those moms who are vulnerable know what their options are. So we're going to help support them in that. And then another thing, we're going to help the main uh, kind of ministry housing of Caravan Missions, uh, which is located in Mexico. And uh, we're going to help with some, uh, I think, refurbishing that needs to be done there in kind of the main area in which they do ministry. So those are just two of the nine projects. You can check out all of them there on our website. But there's a tangible way that this kind of generosity that we're seeing on display that can bring hope. Remember, that is the ultimate goal behind our generosity. It's not just to get a generator. It's not just to refurbish a, a, a place where ministry is happening. But the ultimate goal behind it is man, we wanna bring hope into that situation. And, and I love that idea. That, that is so core to who we try to be at HDC. We are so committed to being a hope-filled church. You might not know, but one of our core values is to be durable. And the tagline that goes with that is to be a great church 100 years from now. So we are always making plans in great hope as a church. We are a hope-filled church. And I will just tease out for you, our directional team, Pastor George, Pastor Kurt, Pastor Todd, they have been working on some great plans for the future of HDC, and they're gearing up here to share those in the first week of the new year. So I would really encourage you to be here that weekend uh, because that is gonna be a great time to look forward to the hope-filled plans that are ahead of us as a church. Hopeful people make plans. But when Naomi went from hopeless to hopeful, it was generosity that caused that change in her from both Ruth and Boaz. So I think that's a cool insight for us. When we see people start to make plans, it's like, whoa, generosity's starting to work. We've infused some hope into the situation. Now let's get into the harebrained plan that Naomi has. Just because I said they make plans doesn't mean that they make very good ones, right? So <laughs> Naomi's got a whack plan here. This is, uh, we pick it up here in verse five where it, it kind of cuts over to Ruth. And Ruth says this, I will do whatever you say. I mean, yeah, I can't, that's crazy. Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, maybe the lady lying on his feet. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. I mean, you have got to have some mad respect for Ruth as you go through this book. You see in chapter two that she is this crazy hard worker. Chapter one, she's crazy devoted to her mother-in-law. Um, her mother-in-law, how many of you are crazy devoted to your mother-in-law? Like most, of, that's a contentious relationship for most, right? So like pretty crazy. She is just a woman of great character and honor about her. And Naomi brings this like really crazy plan. And I don't know if you've tracked with the plan so far, but Ruth has everything to lose in this plan. 
everything to lose. If she is like, if somebody else sees her, she looks like really promiscuous and weird being down at the threshing floor where she has no business being. And she's going to be hiding there waiting for it to get dark and for people to go to sleep. Like that's totally not Ruth. That is not her character. And so she's going to be real uncomfortable. She has all of that to lose. But then also like Boaz could totally reject her and be like, this is so weird which most of us would say, if you found somebody lying on your feet in the middle of the night, you'd be like, what is happening? I don't care how well we know each other, this should not be happening, right? So there is so much for Ruth to lose. What I think is so incredibly ironic about the whole situation is it's not as though Naomi's like, man, Ruth, you're really down on your luck. Let me give you a couple options to help you figure stuff out. Naomi's down on her luck, and she's enlisted Ruth to help her. And this help for Ruth is going to be helpful for Ruth, but it's also going to be really helpful for Naomi. It's like if you and I carpooled to work together every day, and then our car went kaput. And then I said, hey, I've got a really good idea. I know where one of the owners of one of the car dealerships over here lives. What you're going to do is you're going to break into their house. You're going to wait until it gets dark. And then you're going to uncover their feet and just lay there and they'll tell you what to do from there. You'd be like, Jackson, that's a great plan. Why don't you do it? If you're so confident that that's going to work, why don't you go do it instead? Right? Like it is insanity. And Naomi still has so much to benefit. Most of us would be looking at it like, I think you might have ulterior motives here. Like, I don't know that you're really looking out for me, right? If you're Ruth, but Ruth's answer is I'll do whatever you say. That is an insane level of trust. I don't know who in your life you trust at that level. And even those people, when they ask you to do something that doesn't seem like it makes sense, you would have a lot of questions. Like, okay, so wait, run me through, like, what does the feet thing mean? And how's that going to work? And like, you would have so many questions about this situation. Ruth does not ask a single question. She says, whatever you, whatever you say, I'm going to go do that. What I think is so beautiful is, is the entire book of Ruth is really this masterclass to help us understand what giving and receiving, what generosity looks like in God's economy. It's really this great microcosm of like, hey, if everybody stuck to what God said in the law, if everybody stuck with that, what would happen? And you see this like really beautiful thing that God's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of crazy. God's kind of thought of everything. That people who are destitute and have a lot of needs that they're taken care of by things that he's carefully woven into the law. And they're taken care of like we looked at last week in a way that still gives them dignity and all of this stuff, right? It's this just really beautiful picture of like, what if everything went kind of God's way? What if we looked at that and we saw things go his way? How would that work? And man, you look at this and you're like, I would love to belong to a society like this. I would love to belong to a community like this where somebody said, hey, you know what you should do, blank. And you were like, I'll do whatever you say. Man, if you could trust people at that level, I will tell you the two things that really break down this idea of God's economy of generosity is selfishness and suspicion. Ruth could have easily looked at that and said, okay, Naomi, like you have probably said this to people. Would you just look at this from my perspective? 
Would you see how this is gonna affect me? I have everything to lose in this plan. Have you considered that? Did you think that through? Like, just look at it from my point of view. You wouldn't say, wow, that's incredibly selfish, but here's the deal. Ruth is willing to be put in a potentially awkward situation for not just her benefit, but the benefit of her mother-in-law. She loves her mother-in-law and isn't focused entirely on herself. So this isn't an equation of like Ruth just looking out for number one. She's also looking out for Naomi. So selfishness fades. She could have been really, man, we live in a world that is really suspicious about motive. She could have said, what's your angle, man? Like, what are you, what are you vying for here? Because this is, I mean, this is not how people normally interact with each other. So what's, what's the angle here? She could have really started questioning Naomi's motives. Like, are you, are you trying to sh show immorality on me? Are you trying to show, like, reflect poor things on my character? Like, what, what's the angle that you've got here? but she doesn't ask those questions. She doesn't let that suspicion or that selfishness get in the way. Those things can incredibly disrupt what's going on. But then you'll notice she also has an incredible amount of trust in Boaz. There's one thing that Ruth adds to the plan. She does everything, everything that Naomi told her to do. But then Naomi said, when he wakes up, he'll tell you what to do. Ruth said, I trust him a little bit more than that. I'm gonna tell him exactly what I want. This is what she says, if you remember. She said, he's like, who's there, right? I loved that because uh, my mom is a light sleeper and every time I would get up in the middle of the night as a kid and I would need to go get a glass of water or something, I would hear a very loud, who's there? Because she was pop right up. That was exactly Boaz, same thing. Who's there, right? Uh, so she's startled in this moment and she says, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. This is a, this is a powerful line because it's, it goes kind of two ways that are really beautiful. Uh, one is that this had just been talked about in chapter two. Boaz kind of gave this, this prayer over Ruth that God would cover her with his wings. Same word for wings as for skirt there or garment. That's the same word in the Hebrew. So Ruth is saying, I've been thinking about what you said about how God could cover me and protect me with his wings. I think that's you. I would like you to come and cover me and protect me. I would like you to marry me and protect me and Naomi. I would like you to answer your own prayer request for me. That is incredibly bold. Not only is she going to creep up on this guy in the middle of the night, he's gonna wait. I don't know if you've ever like woken up in the middle of the night and had to make a life-changing decision. Uh, Boaz does. And you're generally not at your best right there in that moment. You're like scrambling, trying to figure out what's real and what's not. And Ruth's right there and she's saying, it's me and I would like you to answer your own prayer request. I would like you to cover me. And then what's really cool is God uses the same idea in Ezekiel 16 as he talks about his covenantal relationship with Israel. So God, knowing that the Israelites were familiar with this idea of 
Boaz praying that God would use his wings to cover her. And then her saying in your covenant to me, would you care for me? Would you marry me and provide for my needs and the needs of Naomi? And would you care for us? And then God uses that same language to describe his covenant with his people, Israel. That is just like a very powerful set of statements. And so all of the maybe sexual connotations that you're thinking of, like kind of take those away, put them to the side. This is about the covenant of marriage. This is about protection and care. And so Ruth has not only an insane level of trust in Naomi, Naomi says it, she says, okay, I'll do it. But then as she approaches Boaz, she has enough trust to tell him exactly what she wants, exactly what she's looking for, because she trusts that he loves her, he cares for her, and he has her best in mind. So there is just this really, I think, an admirable level of trust that Ruth has in two individuals, a trust that I don't know has ever been replicated in my life or your life in another person. It is such a high level of trust that Ruth demonstrates to both of these people. So Naomi goes from being hopeless to a hopeful planner. Ruth demonstrates this deep level of trust in both Naomi and Boaz. And now, as we kind of wait on pins and needles, you got to imagine, right? He's just woken up. He's all startled. She's like, oh my gosh, I don't know. And she, she tells him, I'd, I'd like you to marry me. She like proposes to him right there at one in the morning, you know, and now Boaz wakes up and we're all, I, I, the author really intentionally shapes it this way, that there would be some suspense in us where we're like, what is this guy going to say? What's going to happen next? There's all this suspense building in this scene and we get his response. This is what he says in verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. Her earlier kindness was caring for his family member, Naomi, and entering into that kind of covenant uh, relationship with her where she would demonstrate that very uh, generous empathy to Naomi. This is uh, kinder, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me a shawl you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured it uh, into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. Such a cool response from Boaz. Such a, um, there is so much beauty to the way that he responds. If, um, if you're used to reading romance novels, you might have expected maybe some direction of where things would go. There is such a, a tension in Boaz's response. He is flattered. That's where we start first, right? Wow, I, I didn't think. I didn't think that you would be interested in me. I'm an older guy. There are so, he has such a high view of Ruth, right? There are so many other options. 
There are so many other ways that you could have gone, so many other people who would be interested. Everybody knows that you're a woman of noble character. I am flattered. And he loves her. He, he wants to be with her. He wants to marry her. This is like a, a perfect match and he is so incredibly flattered. And that is held in perfect tension with a but. But there is actually someone closer than me. There's someone who has a right to redeem you before I do. And this isn't like some like made up system of rules. This is laid out in God's law exactly how this guardian redeemer situation would work that we've talked about before in chapter two. This idea of redemption is just simply to buy back. And basically the broad strokes idea of the, this kinsman redeemer or guardian redeemer would be that another family member, if, if a certain group of that family fell on hard times, another family member would buy back either lost possession or even if a family member became a, in, indentured, like an indentured servant to somebody else, that they would pay that off and they would buy that family member back. So it was this idea of kind of maintaining what the family owned maintaining the family status and keeping the family from kind of totally falling and caving under. And then when it came to brother-in-laws, there was this even closer relationship that if you shared in the same property and your brother-in-law, he died, uh, well, then you would kind of take over for his family as well. And you would continue his bloodline. So that's the idea here. And, um, and there's somebody who has a closer relationship than Boaz does. Can, can I ask you this Fellas, anybody who's proposed to a, a lady in here um, who hopefully said yes, um, if you were like right about to make that proposal, like that moment, you're about to make that proposal, and then you're like, oh, but like Jimmy in first period, he did call dibs, so I should probably, he, he should probably go first, just to, you could say no, but you know, let, we'll let, like never, you would never give an opportunity to anybody else. I'm going to lock this down before anybody else can, like no chances whatsoever. Boaz is flattered. He wants to marry Ruth. He wants to be with her. He wants to be in relationship with her. He wants to be married to her. And yet he says, by God's law, there is someone who is closer than I am. I mean, that level of restraint mixed with his passion and his desire and his love for Ruth, but then he restrains himself. He has self-control and he says, this is what I find so admirable about Boaz. He truly trusts that God's ways are best. See, most of us, if we sat down, you would say, Jackson, I, I really believe that God's ways are best. And that's easy for all of us to say, yeah, God's ways are best. He knows the best way to do things. But then there comes that moment where you think you know what God's ultimate outcome should be. Oh, we should do this business deal. I should be with this person, fill in the blank, right? You think you know the outcome, but it looks like there's something blocking that. It looks like there's something in the way of that outcome and we will conveniently step outside of God's way just to get around that and get to the outcome that we think he desires. And many of us will not carry that through the entire process of the method in which we get to the place that God is leading us. We trust him to an extent, but the moment that there is a, something that prevents us from getting towards the thing that we want more than anything, we will gently sidestep 
God's direction for our life for a moment so that we can step forward. We trust him in principle, but do our actions really demonstrate this level of trust? Everything says that these two should get married. Everything says, this is a perfect fit. It's the chemistry's there, the, the love and the honor and the respect is there. The whole relationship works. And he says, but we've got to do this God's way because I trust him enough to do that. Let alone, if you are reading this devotionally, you might be like, whoa, is there like some weird, like, is there, is there potentially some weird sexual stuff going on here? Not even for a moment. Do you see Boaz's character? It's not, it's not even an, it's not on the table at all because God's way is best. And Boaz is fully convinced of it. And he doesn't just demonstrate it in the way he talks. He demonstrates it in the way that he lives. Look at this. It is nighttime. No one else is around. No one else would know. This other guy doesn't even need to know the situation. Boaz has every opportunity to just step outside of, not in some like crazy sinful way, right? It'd just be like a little bit of a compromise, a little bit different than the way that God said to do it. But he has a full confidence and trust that God's ways are best. I find that so incredibly admirable about Boaz. And what does he do? He sets off to settle the matter as soon as possible. And you might, you might like see a couple verses in here that he's saying, no, nobody should see a woman leaving the threshing floor. And you might be like, does that mean something, something weird happened, Jackson? Like what's going on? He is just continuing to protect and provide for Ruth. He's like, this wouldn't, people would have questions. They would look at this and they would think that this was weird. And so to protect your character and the way that people see you, we've got to get up early and make sure that nobody sees you walking away from here. It's not because something bad happened, but it is because Boaz continues to protect and to care for Ruth. So this is where we land the plane with a little bit of girl talk. Uh, this is what it says in verse 16. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? I mean, I, the snarky remarks, right? You would just be thinking, how, how do you think it went, right? Like this was a terrible plan. Like how, how did you think it was gonna go? How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Cliffhanger. We will not settle the matter today. You're gonna have to come back next week for that. Um, I, I would just have, as I look at these three characters, I would just have some questions of reflection for myself and for you. One is, man, if you are in a place, if I could just encourage you, if you're in a place where you feel hopeless, could I just encourage you to look at Naomi's story? She is in chapter one, devastated in the pit with no hope, no options. But then two chapters later, she's making hope-filled plans can I encourage you if you are hopeless about a situation going on in your life, be it health or financial or any other kind of circumstance going on in your life, could I just encourage you that you are probably just one or two acts of generosity away from hope. Hope is on the horizon. God's people, as we looked at in chapter two, fill the needs in our lives. That was the way it was set up. That's the way it was designed. And so if you're hopeless, could I just encourage you, you are probably one or two generous acts away.
from finding some hope. For those of us who are filled with hope in this moment, I would ask, man, where are the opportunities that we have to be generous? Not because anybody's trying to bleed you dry for money, not because anybody's just demanding more and more and more of your time and your resources, but man, if you look at generosity in its purest form, that it is truly giving hope to someone, bringing hope to hopeless situations, sparking that hope so that they can begin making plans again. Who wouldn't wanna give that gift to somebody? So where are those opportunities? Do you have situations in your oikos? Do you have situations with close family or friends that you could give that supreme generosity of empathy? Your problems are my problems in this season, I'm in. Or could you give to GoFundKingdom and support nine different projects that are building God's kingdom around the world, not just here in our desert? And just be just like Boaz. Hey, I see you supplying those needs. Let me just encourage you. Let me be helpful to you with the resources that I have. Then I look at this idea of the way that Ruth trusts Naomi and Boaz. And you might say, Jackson, I'm nowhere close to trusting anybody in my life like that. That's okay. Could you trust God like that? The, the question I have for myself is, do I trust God enough to put myself in a situation that could be uncomfortable for the sake of obedience? Do I trust him enough to put myself in positions that might be uncomfortable or awkward for the sake of obedience to him? Naomi says, go do this. It's crazy. There's every reason to protest. Ruth just does it. Is that my relationship with God? Do I have that level of trust in him that if he says to go do something, to go have a conversation with a coworker that I don't know how it's gonna go, to maybe abstain from a, a practice that my family does around the holidays that's just not God honoring or helpful to my faith? And even though that might get awkward, do I trust him enough to just abstain? Do I trust him enough to enter into some situations that might be a little rocky, might be a little awkward for me? Do I trust him enough to obey? And then that bleeds perfectly into, do my actions demonstrate, not my words, do my actions demonstrate that I trust that God's ways are truly best? That's the question. Those are the questions that I have coming out of this. I hope they're great questions for you to reflect upon this week. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you and uh, thank you. Lord, as we reflect on this great uh, idea of giving and receiving, that we see all through uh, this book of Ruth. Lord, I can't help but think of the way that Ruth and Naomi and Boaz play a role in the bloodline of Jesus, where you would give us the ultimate gift of salvation, that we could receive it through faith. And Lord, we thank you that you have made all of our problems your problem that Lord, out of the riches and abundance of your love and your power and your might and your holiness, that while we were sinners, you died for us. Lord, we thank you for the great gift of Jesus. We thank you for the way that you saw our need and stepped in and met it. And if you're here tonight, and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, and you haven't received that gift through faith, 
Man, the great news is that that is so incredibly simple. All you have to do is A, admit that you're a sinner in desperate need of a savior. B, believe that Jesus is the only savior available. And C, choose, choose to follow him with the rest of your life, following his pattern of generosity in your life. And Lord, for the rest of us, as we have received in faith such a great gift from your son, Lord, would that make us such deeply generous people? Lord, in the way that we interact with each other, in the way that we meet the needs that you present us with, Lord, would we be quick to step into those situations? Would we be quick to trust you and to ultimately, Lord, trust that your ways are best? Lord, we love you. We pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.